Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. If you're like me, you're a total sucker for story. The kind that make me lean in as if my ears closer to the speaker could possibly offer more is my favorite. We've come to learn that this is, in fact, a nearly universal human trait, emerging spontaneously in childhood and existing in all cultures. Humans have been telling stories for thousands of years, sharing them orally even before the invention of writing. They allow people to see patterns where there is chaos, meaning where there is randomness. Humans are inclined to see narratives where there are none because it can afford meaning to our lives. As spring begins to hint of summer and outdoor adventures start filling up my calendar, it feels like the season of storytelling, shared on the trail, around the campfire, over beers after some epic type too fun. Amid all of it, I ache for ways to take people with me to these places, to engage them in these experiences, to awaken a passion in them for the preservation and protection of nature. When Matt Podolsky interviewed Fitzgahal, well-known outdoor adventure storyteller, I left the show filled with inspiration on doing just this. In honor of this seasonal transition, I wanted to rebroadcast the show on the off chance it may prove equally inspirational for others. My name is Fitzgall and um, I'm based out of Seattle and I, I kind of do a lot of different things, but um, really for the last 20 years in some shape or form, I've been um, working on, I, I use story as a way to communicate um, my love for the outdoors and my community's love for the outdoors. And that has meant a lot of different things in terms of we've run a, a, a pretty successful podcast for the last 10 years called the Dirtbag Diaries. And, and then um, I also co-own a business called Duct Tape Then Beer, which does um, a lot of different things. But it, it also it, one of the things that I do for that company is basically make films. I direct films. So it, I've for a long time, I've been working uh, in a variety of different formats, whether it's, you know, it used to be print journalism. Um, to working in virtual reality now too, so that's that's my background. I'm I'm not any one thing. I'm just pretty passionate about the outdoors, the environment, and telling good stories that make people care about this place. You're probably best known for both the films that that you've directed and and, and produced for Duct Tape Then Beer, but but also for this this long running podcast series, The Dirtbag Diaries, which has become extremely popular. I guess I'm wondering what, which came first, right? Uh, did you get into podcasting first or or filmmaking, and and how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. Um, the I, I so I'm I'm totally a, a nerd. I'm just going <laughs> to lay that. I'm going to put that right out there. And I'm a nerd. And um, I have always been really, I, I w- was fascinated by the internet at, from a pretty young age. Um, you know, whether, whether it was getting like hooked up at the school library uh, way, way back in the day when it was pretty boring. And, you know, there'd be a couple things that you could find, but it was clear that um this was cool. And, and basically I just sort of grew alongside as the internet. And I, when podcasting came about, um, I loved it. I, I, I loved radio in general. I liked the long form storytelling that you'd find on a radio show, like this American life. Um, 
I thought it, I thought it, I thought it was just a really neat way to tell a story. And, um, you know, once the, the podcasting, um, kind of started to take off, I, I just dove right in because I was like, this is perfect. I don't, I don't actually need a radio station. I can just go do this on my own. And, uh, that's, that's where I started. And, and, and the same thing with filmmaking is that I, I was interested in making films, you know, certainly like there was some video online even early, but it was terrible. People didn't have the speed to run it. There weren't enough people watching it. And I was just patient. And basically when it seemed like there was enough of an audience and enough that the technology was there, I would just kind of try a new format and a, a new medium and check it out and do it. Um, so for me, it, it was, I, I started um, first with words, then I started with radio and then um, eventually evolved into um, filmmaking and, and kind of dabble in everything that, that people care about and um, use online. I love the way that you sort of position that of, you know, how you're, you're a storyteller first and you use sort of whichever medium sort of seems to make sense. Um, and I mean, at this point, you're using sort of a, a diversity of, of different mediums. But it's, it's also neat to hear you talk about how like, well, you know, I started podcasting in 2006, because that's when that medium became available uh, to distribute online. Right. Yeah. And then you essentially adopt the, the filmmaking medium at this point when that medium becomes available to distribute online. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, basically what it was. I mean, I didn't have it when I started the filmmaking. I, I, I didn't come. Uh, I would say the first few things I was very much more in a producer role where I knew the technology and I um, could could make it all happen. I could organize things. I could identify stories um so i came at it less much less from like a, a technical camera camera side or if, you know like I, I didn't go to film school or anything like that i came at it from um just a passion from like looking at the, the uh, at what people were doing and how people were communicating and sharing stories and and then um did it that way and i i still you know i'm pretty terrible at holding a camera most people do that for me so um yeah that, that that is definitely like how how I went about it. I'm super interested in, in both of these endeavors of you because I I share that as well. Obviously, I'm you know a podcaster and and a filmmaker as well. Um, and and I just love the emphasis that you place on story and how uh, I mean that that's something that I tell people over and over again is that story is so much more important than what shot you get you know or getting the most beautiful shot in the world. It's how those shots are pieced together to sort of convey the story. And, and I think that definitely, you know, that, that, that focus that you have on the storytelling aspect, I think definitely shows through in, in your films. I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like to launch a podcast way back in 2006. Not, not that that was really that long ago, but I mean, from a podcasting perspective, I mean, that was like the dawn of, of this you know, <laughs> sort of new, new era that, that is, con you know, continuing to grow. Um, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what your mindset was um, back in 2006 when yeah. you came up with the idea for the show and, and, and launched it. I mean, what ambitions did you have and, and uh, uh, you know, what were you trying to achieve with the show? Yeah, I mean, it was the, – there's there, I, I, there's a couple um, answers to that and, and it was a very personal process for me um, because it was I, – I had been working as a freelance writer and was doing okay doing that and there was this moment – at 2006 as the media landscape was really shifting and, and, and um, 
basically I had worked more and then I went and did my taxes and I realized I made less money because everybody was cutting what they were paying for writing in magazines and they didn't tell you that they would just send you the check and your check would have been smaller than what it was last year. And, um, it was really clear that if I was ever going to do anything like be able to buy a house or have a family or, um, you know, have decent health care. I, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. It just it just wasn't gonna work on that level. And I you know, I, I I guess that when I started out I really just I had some stories left over from my work in freelancing that hadn't sold. And I thought they were pretty good stories. And I figured, hey, I'll just you know, I've got a little time, you know, I, like maybe I'll go back to school, you know, I'll look for jobs, um, et cetera, et cetera. But in the meantime, I'm just going to, I really like radio. I really like podcasting and I'm just going to figure out how to do this. And so I took those stories that I had sort of fallen by the wayside or editors weren't interested in. And I just put them into the radio format. And right away there was this incredible response to it. It, it, it you know, it was like, I sent it out to to 30 friends and then you know I, I was sort of obsessed with the stats at that stage and you watched it and the 30 friends that turned into 300 people listening and that turned into 3,000 people listening and it was really incredible and I, I realized really quickly um, in the process that that chances are my my life had just changed and that um, if I played the cards right that this would be a viable career um, that I could do this. And it's not to say that that was like, it was a done deal and that it was not without struggles in the last 10 years. Certainly that was not the case, but there was this really, um, clear sort of moment of, uh, of, a, of epiphany where it was like, wow, I just, I just did something that is going to, you know, like I basically empowered myself and, and I created my own job if I do this correctly. And it was, um, a really cool experience, um, in terms of, of like back then, because it is, I mean, it's like weird. It's 10 years ago is not a long time, but in the world, in the, in the history of the internet, 10 years is like, Oh my God, that's ancient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Imagine what we were doing. I mean, even, even with podcasting for like the user, it was quite cumbersome. You had to, um, first off you have you had to know what a podcast was, which was pretty difficult. You had to then subscribe to this thing that you would, um, wait patiently and then it would download onto your computer and then you would take it and you plug in your iPod and then you would put it onto your iPod or burn it to a CD and then you would take it and listen to your car or when you were running. And for the user, it was burdensome. For the creator, it was even more so. I mean, it's like we don't spend any time on the on the tech side of it, on the back end now. I mean, in terms of like the, the code side of it, like, but that was really important. And the feed would fail and like I'd have to like figure out what line of code to replace and change and do all that. And it was, you know, it was kind of terrifying. It was a very touchy thing and you have to be very careful with it because you could basically explode your entire audience if you weren't, <laughs> if you touched the wrong thing in the wrong way. And so it, it definitely, that just, it's so funny to think back about it because I, I don't worry about that at all anymore. It's all just so the, the the infrastructure has all been built up around it and it's quite easy to use. Um, it was an awesome, I mean, you know, as much as that sort of sounds bad, it was an awesome period of time because there was so much, um, you had to figure it out on your, on your own. And, um, 
since then it's grown up and you know there's a lot of incredible forums where you can you know like basically google a question or something like that and and there's an answer waiting for you and same was true with filmmaking you know it's it's there's been incredible communities that have built around it and it's it was um earlier this year i was been working in in on a pretty big virtual reality project and um it was the first time in a long time where i googled something and google didn't come back with a response and it had been since the early days of podcasting when I had had that, when I te- typed in some technical question and there was no answer back and you're left with the reality that you just got to figure it out. And that was a really cool moment in, in my life and in my career. And I really appreciate it, even though at the time I think it probably made me want to tear my hair out. But um, <laughs> that that period, it's just like you don't get that many, um, there's not that many times in, in where you get to, not be shown the way but you get to figure out what the way is for your own you know for not just you but for an entire community and that that was really cool and i don't mean to say like i figured it out on my own i mean like there were many of us that were doing it simultaneously and then that developed into the bigger bigger community but there was this sort of feeling of autonomy um which was really cool and and left a big impression on 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 me for the long term we launched our podcast about two years ago, and I'm absolutely blown away by how much easier it is to put out and release a podcast series now than it was just two years ago. I mean, a lot has happened just in the last few years um, as far as the ease uh, of of launching your own show and, 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 and becoming a podcaster, right? And I don't even know. I don't act. It's funny. I don't even know what those changes are. It's like I, I've just been I've just been going through it through it for so long and, and, and doing it all. And it's like I'm kind of just like, oh, yeah, we just keep doing our same old thing. But I just notice it's there's less problems with it now. Right. Right. It's it's funny. Yeah. The show has become, you know, this this really popular uh, podcast series and one of the longest running podcast series about, you know, this topic like sort of outdoor adventure. And, and, and there's definitely a lot of connections with like conservation and the environment in there. What's next? I mean, what what plans do you have for the Dirtbag Diaries moving forward? Anything specific you, you want to talk about? Um, you know, I mean, I think that that for us it's just a matter of um figuring out how to expand I, there's no grand vision for this thing uh, i think that at some point early on i i thought it'd be pretty cool if we could make this last for 10 years and i didn't really think that was probably going to happen and to have it to have it made it there feels like a little bit of a of a landmark um but that's not some high lofty goal that's just like i wonder if i could do that for 10 years um and and i think that there's there's no there's no grand crazy vision for it. it it is what it is and it's this wonderful thing and it's got a wonderful community around it and i think our my biggest hope for it is that we can continue to expand our community to continue to expand the number of voices that are involved in the show and expand the number of perspectives because that's the same thing that's happened to the outdoor community is that it is it's a it's a you know, on one hand, it's um, it's become even more specialized. Like there's a lot, there's more h- hardcore niches than there were 10 years ago, and at the same point, it's become much more diverse. And I think we're entering into a new era as a community where there's a lot of different perspectives versus just 
um, you know, the ones that come out of the ski towns or the, or out of Boulder or, you know, wherever is, I, I think that the, our community has grown and I hope that the show continues to grow alongside that, uh, alongside of our community and, um, also helps the community grow in, in the right ways. So I think that that's, that's kind of where I look at it. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, there's a lot of crossover sort of between what you just said and, and a lot of the discussions that, that we've been having about the podcast series that, that we produce, um, Eyes on Conservation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of talking about, you know, the importance of diversity and, and bringing new uh, uh, and different groups sort of into the fold and, and also just showing people what the word conservation means. And, and you know, I think that sort of goes for like, the outdoors as well is like there's a lot of people that that they hear those terms and they think of it as like sort of they, they put that in into a into a box and don't realize that mm-hmm. it's interconnected with literally everything in their lives you know yeah so it means it means many connections. different things to to many different people and i think that's like it's something that we we need to be aware of. i mean i think everybody in the sort of outdoor space kind of needs to be aware of that i mean it's like, I mean, make the things you love to make. I don't, I don't mean to tell another creative what they should be doing. Um, but I think it is really important to think that it's like that there's a, there's a space for a lot of different voices and a lot of different perspectives when it comes to, to the outdoors and, and what it means to, to, um, do it. You know, it's, it's, it, it's not, not everybody needs to wear a helmet if that may, you know, it's like not everybody needs to do something where it's like a helmet is required. There's a lot of ways to appreciate it. And I think that, um, there's a lot of ways to powerfully connect with the natural world. Um, and I, and I do, you know, I, you know, if you bring up the topic of conversation, I, I do feel like part of the way that we are going to continue to, um, make smart decisions with this planet and with our footprint on this planet, because we're going to have to do that is we're going to need people that, that care about it. And I think that you, it really helps if you have a personal relationship with the natural world. I I just think it's like you, you're way more likely to care about something if you have connection with it. And I think that's true for not just like people, not just like typical sort of kayakers or, or long distance hikers or, um, rock climbers, but, it's true for the for the people that that hunt and fish and it's it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to to bridge the various sides of our communities um to become you know a powerful force that that helps our leaders make good decisions about about how we use our lands it's interesting that you brought up hunting and and, and fishing because that that was actually on my mind as well as you were uh, uh, talking about, you know, reaching out and, and sort of broadening the scope of, of what people think about when, when they talk about like a connection with the natural world, right? Um, because that's a group of people that for a long time, they've sort of been put in their own box, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like those those types of activities that, that people do in the outdoors and that lead to a lot of the same types of connections with the natural world are sort of separate in a certain way, and, and or, or at least in a lot of people's minds. Um, but I mean, I don't. One of the things that that that, that I think we've we've seen just in the last few months actually is is hunting groups coming together with conservation groups. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that that I'm starting to see that that is 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 really hopeful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if that's something that like you guys have have contemplated covering, like you know, sort of this growing movement to sort of bring these these two uh, communities together. Oddly enough, with our work at Duct Tape and Beer. Um, which is the company that 
that owns the diaries and that that basically I work for. Um, we did a lot of work on on those issues to to help bring those communities together. Um, that was kind of that's been a, one of our big projects in the last few years is is how um, how to create a, a message about public lands and, and particularly the, the the fact that there's been this incredible push to sell off public lands or to turn federal lands over to the states. Um, that was one of the, the big things we've been working on the last year and a half was a lot of the messaging around that so that we could build that, that a diverse set of um, communities in the outdoors could come together and kind of rally to um, stop some of these really bad ideas that keep cropping up in state legislatures and at the federal level. That is an issue that is, is at the forefront of, of a lot of people's minds right now. I, <laughs> I, I just did a, uh, I, I did a panel discussion of, of a whole bunch of filmmakers, uh, a whole bunch of Boise-based filmmakers that, that are screening uh, films of theirs uh, at this, this film festival, Le Bois Film Festival, that, that we're co-hosting <laughs> in a couple of weeks. And that topic is at the forefront of, of a lot of people's minds. That's something that came up, uh, uh, sort of a common theme throughout a lot of the films that we're screening. Um, but but clearly something that that a lot of a lot of filmmakers and 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 you know specifically filmmakers that that you know are working in this space of you know telling stories about the outdoors and, and conservation and wildlife um, definitely are concerned about. Um, so it's yeah it's it's neat to hear that that you've been working you know and and your company has been working specifically to bring those two groups together because I think that's a really really important aspect. Um, of, of that topic. So I, I want to kind of shift focus here and talk a little bit yeah, about, totally. about filmmaking, the filmmaking side of, of what yeah. you do. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned this this film festival, uh, Le Bois Film Festival that we're co-hosting. So um, one of your most recent films, uh, Paul's Boots, is going to be screening at, at this event, uh, Le Bois Film Festival. So I'm, I'm super excited about screening this film, in part because... I'm a long distance hiker myself, and and I've I've I've, ne- I've never through hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, but I've done sections of it, and and I've hiked the Long Trail in Vermont, and so it's uh, it's a topic that is close to my heart, and and I, I think I've probably watched just about every documentary about through hiking the Appalachian Trail that's out there, um, and and your film Paul's Boots stood out, and so I, I kind of want to just talk a little bit about you know how how this project got started, you know what what the inspiration was that led to the creation of this film. I mean, basically, what happened is, you know, we were all sitting around, and one, uh, we got an email through the Dirtbag Diaries account, and Jen, who's a producer at the show, kind of came over and was like, "I got something you should read." And um, this woman, Malin, had reached out from Australia um, to tell us about her husband, and and we get a lot of people writing in to, to sort of share moments from their lives and, you know, talk about this and and this letter. You could tell there was there was an intensity to it. And she told us about Paul, and Paul was, you know, basically a guy who really liked to help other people. Um, he loved the outdoors. He always loved the outdoors, kind of growing up. And life just kind of got in his got in the way. You know, his his mom got sick. Uh, you know, he spent five years kind of caring for her, and then her, his dad got sick. Um, along the way, his health deteriorated. He had he had a couple heart attacks, and really, he got. Um, to this point where it, it was um, pretty difficult to just get outside 
and do that. It was hard to walk. His heart wasn't working that well. And he, in the last year of his life, basically planned on going to hike the AT, um, you know, the entire Appalachian Trail, even though, you know, realistically, that wasn't an option with his condition and where he was at. And, um, you know, he, he passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, and at, when Malin, his wife, went to go clean out his stuff, um, she just couldn't bear to like throw away his boots. You know, there were these like polished hiking boots ready to go out on the Appalachian Trail. And so she reached out to us and just asked if we knew somebody who might be able to carry them for like a two week trip, you know, to just do a short section and send her for some photos and that that would just make her, that would make her day. And we thought about it and we we're like, you know, I made a couple calls to friends who had hiked the AT and, and we thought about it and, I th- and we thought, you know what? I bet you these boots will, will make it the entire length. I bet you this entire community will come together and people will shoulder the load and take these boots across the entire Appalachian Trail. And that was sort of our hypothesis. And we got out and we basically put out a call to action into that into that community. And, um, you know, I think we had a, we had almost 500 people uh, reach out to us and and, and offer their time, their services to put those boots on their back and hike with them. And, um, you know, there weren't enough days in the summer to have all those people carry those (laughs) those boots. But um, basically, I think we ended up having about 25 groups um, carry them. Uh, Sometimes it'd be an individual, sometimes it'd be like a couple of buddies would go out and do it together. But they made from from late March to... Um, the end of August, they ended up going all the way from Georgia to Katahdin. Um, and, and then some too, there was actually, there was some overlap. I think they actually hiked more than the, the 2,190 miles. Um, so it was a pretty incredible, uh, you know, that was, that was how that project got started. It was just this belief in this community that, that, you know, something kind of, almost silly sounding that you would hike with a pair of five pound heavy leather boots strapped to your backpack because they're weight. I mean, Paul was a big guy, so he had size 13 feet and there's no way, you know, I mean, one person wore them for a little bit and like got horrible blisters within like 20 minutes. You know, there's just, it was like you had to carry these things that were just impeding your progress because every pound does count when you do that long distance hiking. And yet, people gladly did it and they had incredible experiences um it it connected them with other hikers because so many of the people that were hiking the trail knew about the boots story um before they ever saw them and it was um it was one of the coolest projects i've ever been involved in i had no idea what would happen when we started which is not typical of of our projects is like that's that turns out is actually a really bad way to make a film um (laughs) is to have no idea how it's all going to happen um, but we just figured our, our, we figured it through and just did our best and, and kind of, um, left it up to the community. And, and we ended up with, with something I'm very proud of, you know, very, very proud to have been a part of seeing those boots reach the end of the trail and Malin, Paul's wife came out for that final bit, flew, she flew over from Australia and joined us for a week. Um, and Paul's brother came out and actually carried boots to the top of Katahdin. Um, those were some of the coolest moments that I've ever been involved in and it just it felt the entire time it felt like you were more than just yourself and it, that's a cool feeling to be involved in as a filmmaker 
it's a unique way to introduce viewers to a diversity of characters uh and and to introduce them to this community right by by basically showing them like you know it it, it sort of reveals something about the character of the community itself that you know they're it, it's it's so selfless that they would just volunteer to to carry these boots which you know and and like you said i mean that to, to someone who doesn't have experience you know uh, uh long distance hiking like that might seem like not too big of a deal but like when you're a long distance backpacker, I mean, you spend so much time, like you know, uh, reducing the weight of your pack, and and like it, it's it's yeah, um, it, it's the literally the most important aspect of of planning a trip like that, <laughs> and um, yeah, oh totally, I mean that because like that that weights two two to two to three days worth of food, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's that's the difference of of i mean that that kind of puts it in as like that's about the same weight as what you need to eat for three days yeah and you're like just loading that on your back on top of that and that's man it's it was cool to see mm-hmm. how how that community came together yeah so i mean it, it was definitely it was it was a very creative way to sort of reveal and sort of the 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 nature of that community um in in a way that i hadn't seen in in any of the other docs out there about about through hiking the Appalachian Trail and certainly a lot of other people have have tried you know to sort of show what that community is really like and and introduce people to diversity of characters but um you you hit on sort of a strategy to do that that really resonated with me and 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 you know based on the the reactions you've been getting from the film it, it certainly resonates with other, other people as well so i'm curious to learn a little bit about the logistics of of shooting this film because you oh, yeah. know, it's yeah. it's you know you're shooting in in often these these remote locations you know along stretches of the Appalachian Trail which you know goes over two thousand miles. I guess I'm wondering like like how you guys sort of approach that and and how you sort of figured out like you know what would be the most important moments to shoot and and uh, I mean were, were you uh, or members of your crew mm-hmm. sort of traveling out to like certain spots to like shoot some segments of that yourselves and I. I I imagine you were also sort of recruiting volunteers to like shoot footage to contribute to the project as well. It was, uh, that was the biggest hurdle. We had to come up with a way to pull this off. And, uh, I'm not in a, <laughs> I'm not really in a position where I could be like, Hey, family, I'm leaving you and I'm going to go the AT for the next six months. <laughs> um, that's, that was not the way to do that. And, um, in truth, it just was like, we needed kind of more flexibility. We needed to be able to kind of like work with the people that had volunteered. So it wasn't always like a super linear path up the, I mean, they, they went the length of the trail. Um, but it was, it 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 was a it was a trick to figure out how to do it, and our biggest hurdles. I, I I'm a big believer in that. I think that if you can, you know, you can you can help people figure out how to tell their own story, and that's something that I think runs through a lot of my own work. Is that, um, is that I, I think that I try to reach out and I try to allow people to take control of their own story and tell it. And um, so what we did is we just shipped people a camera. When we when they got the boots, we would there'd be a camera in it and you know a couple of different batteries and we would sort of show them some we you know have a little notes about what examples what they should be shooting what they should be telling us about and then what we do is we'd go out as a crew um, there are probably four of us that that went out and did time on the trail um, we would kind of catch up with people in strategic locations at those moments where we thought would be important. Um, or I'd even like, you know, we'd go out and just interview somebody after they'd taken the trip. Um, 
so we could get their perspective on it. They wouldn't be on the trail, but we would just go into their home and, you know, interview them and get the audio that needed to go along with the footage that they had captured on that trip. And so it was, it was, um, there'd be certain, I mean, certainly we, we did good sections of the trail, but, um, we didn't just like be there for every single day. We tried our the people that were carrots to tell their own story and, and really, and then just did our best to help them do that. And then would sort of strategically, um, add to it through interviews and, and a little bit of, you know, maybe coming out and hiking with them for a day or two. It's, it's super interesting. You know, the, the, for me as, as a fellow filmmaker, like the logistics of that, uh, are, are super fascinating to me. And it's, I mean, it's yeah. actually something I've contemplated as well of sort of like, if you were to tell a story about an adventure on, on a long distance hiking trip like that, like how would you approach it? And, and I love the fact that you sort of empowered your characters to, to tell their own story and to shoot their own footage. Um, I, I mean, that it definitely adds uh, a unique element. It adds character to the film, I, I think, uh, for yeah. sure. Um, and, no, and, and a lot of that stuff is like, I just couldn't even have dreamed it up. I mean, some of the stuff that people would share uh, or or do or the, their sense of humor, it all just came across. And I, I couldn't, you know, I mean, I just couldn't have. I, they did a better job than I could have done. And, and that was really cool to turn it over. And, and I, I'm so thankful for everybody who did it because it's not just they they didn't just do the you know have this extra burden of carrying the boots but they've kind of went for it with sharing their own stories and i think it came through in that piece so i guess i wonder you know what what kind of reactions you've gotten to the film um you know it's 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 been out you've released it you've screened it at a bunch of film festivals and, and and a lot of other venues i mean you know what 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 kind of responses have you get have you gotten and and I mean I, I guess specifically I'm curious like have you set up screenings that are like specifically geared towards like the 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 trail community that that you're portraying in the film? You know we we oh man that's, that's a, a interesting question I I I feel sort of bad but I kind of um, I finished that piece and we worked so hard on it that I sort of checked out. <laughs> a little bit and and i i uh i i just went right into the next big project basically and and i didn't you know i, I wasn't totally aware of it i just i had such a powerful experience um making it and getting to know some of the people in the film that i i didn't pay much attention to it all and it has it has been i mean i think people like it i mean i think that there's you know on the online version of it i think there's more than a million million views on it um so i think that must mean that people were were sharing it and cared about it and wanted wanted to spread it because you know that's you know that's pretty cool you know in terms of doing reaching out we've had a lot of people reach out and wanted to show it and we always help them do that um but we haven't been organizing quite as you know as many events as we might have it just it's so time i mean you know from putting on this film festival you are it's such a time intensive process to 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 do it i mean every time you make an event it's like hundreds of hours of time so um you know we definitely will respond if people wants to want to show it we're like really excited when people want to do that and we'll reach out to them but um yeah it's it's funny it's i've stayed more i i think i ended up just it was such a personal process for me to be involved in i think i ended up um staying in touch with more of the hikers themselves in it and and really cared about their responses and it wasn't that i didn't care about what the community had to say i think it just it just that's kind of kind of where my heart lay after the the whole process 
Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And I mean, I can definitely relate to needing to take a break after after investing so much time and energy into a specific project. One of the things that, that you know, I, I was interesting to me, because this is something that we've been experimenting as well with our filmmaking and our podcasting, is, is the fact that your podcast series, The Dirtbag Diaries, I mean, s- sort of play this role, like, while you were producing the film of like sort of sharing updates and 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 you know you you did sort of podcast stories focused on this story you were telling uh that would become paul's boots the film um over the course of the 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 project which i thought was was an interesting approach i mean i guess i mean did did that just seem like a natural uh sort of approach to you uh since the podcast is such a big part of of what you guys do yeah, I mean, I, it was interesting because we we weighed it. I mean, when we started this process, it was like it really felt like uh, choose your own adventure filmmaking. Uh, <laughs> it, it was it was a little bit, um, you know, there there was didn't always know what um, what strategy to take. And I think that originally we'd sort of envisioned that we might be able to like do a few, you know, sort of short vignettes along the way as the boots were there and that we would do that just with short little you know web videos and the truth is we just didn't have time you know it was like it was it was like it was all moving so quickly and we were tasked with such a big um project of of coordinating where these boots would be and all these with all these hikers and um that we didn't really have the the diaries made sense to do it just because it was an easier um format to do it in and and we had kind of more more resources in our office to use that as the way and i I, for me i thought it was really cool because it did um i think it also the the other thing we we did is we had a pretty robust like social media gathering around it so there'd be through instagram and facebook um the hikers would share all these photos as they were carrying you know i mean a lot of these people would post you know, four or five images from, from a week long trip or, or even more than that. And so there became a very much an unfolding story, um, under, you know, a hashtag Paul walks on. And so that was really neat as people, it wasn't just the diaries, but people were able to sort of follow along almost not in real time, but pretty close to it. Um, I think that was the other, you know, interesting thing is I'd, I'd hiked some of the AT when I was younger and, um, it's wild because there's basically cell coverage on it the entire way. So you, you would be, you know, like I'd be texting with a hiker, you know, while they were carrying the boots and you, you know, they'd be like, Oh, I wrote this thing. Is it cool if I post it? And be like, yeah, absolutely. So there was an incredible, um, reality is that it wasn't just the podcast that was giving updates along the way, but, but it was for the people that were interested. They, they followed along pretty intensely on social media. And it was cool. It was it was neat too because a lot of the hikers that carried it became friends um, through that shared experience. Yeah, that's you know that's really fascinating, and and that's something I I hadn't really thought about too much. But similarly to you, you know, I I, I spent some time hiking a few sections of the Appalachian Trail ten plus years ago, right? And of course, yeah, nobody brought cell phones along with them on the trails no reason to to have that and i mean it it, it sort of creates this interesting uh the 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 method of communication on on the trail is is super fascinating and i'm I'm sure that 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 certain aspects of this this maintain but obviously like the fact that you have cell coverage and a lot of people are carrying cell phones and you can text your friends you know who are ahead or behind you on the trail certainly changes things Uh, but that that was one of the most striking things for, for for me 
um, that, that I got out of the time I spent uh, on the trail years ago is that you can communicate with the people behind you by leaving messages in, in all of these notebooks that, that are found in, in essentially every single shelter has a little a little message book. And, 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 you know, that's sort of a part of the culture is that when you pass through, you leave a little note. Um, and the people behind you can read those notes and, and learn about your trip, right? But the people that are ahead of you, you just never have communication with them. Like, there's no way if someone passes you and then you never catch up, you're never going to see them again. You're never going to hear from them again. Um, but the people behind you may have never met you before, but they're following your story. And then, you know, if they eventually catch up with you, then it, all of a sudden there's like this recognition of like, yeah. oh, my God, I, you know, I've been following your story for months and I finally caught up with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all changed. I mean, it's, it's the way people, um, are using the, you know, various forms of, of con- connectivity with the phones. That's all changing. I mean, I think that's, that's, I think there's some people that really lament the death of the sort of no cell phones in the woods. And, and they, you know, I think the truth is, is that it's not, your grandfather's trail anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, it's changed and evolved and it was really neat to see. Um, I, I mean, I guess like I, I, I don't particularly feel, I, I personally, I wouldn't want to spend all my, if I had that time off, I would probably be like, cool. I'm just tucking away the cell phone and I'm not really, I'm checking out. That's just, you know, how I, my personal preference for dealing with spending time in the woods is I like to kind of be re- moved from from my phone and whatnot but i for the hikers it it was really cool i mean you'd see them and they just they would all know and they'd know even the southbound north bounders like they would be like well there's this one guy who's headed south and i mean they would know all of it before it was coming and it it uh i i think it's it's pretty different i've never seen you know out out west it's like you go into the mountains and you lose cell coverage you know you hike a trail it's like it's not really an option I mean, every once in a while, you'll get a couple of bars here and there, but it's not really like that. And back east, it's just, it's, it's ubiquitous. And it, it it was interesting to see how um, that empowered, you know, that, that, had, that tool had been used inside the community. Yeah, for sure. It's super fascinating. And, and I mean, yeah, that's, that's another interesting point about the difference between out west and, and back east, right, is that you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's still kind of like that out here. I mean, you, you, go, you go out into the wilderness and, and it's pretty much guaranteed that you're not going to have cell coverage. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's like a, another thing that, that I guess, you know, sets the, the Appalachian Trail apart from really other, other long distance trails out there is that, you know, it's like you're kind of in the woods and, and, and kind of out in this remote area by a certain definition, right? But you're never too far from civilization and, and, and areas, you know, with large densities of, of human population. Yeah. Um, thanks for bringing the film to, to Boise and, and sharing the story. It's, it is, it's, um, thanks for doing what you do and building community inside of, you know, in, inside of Boise. It's, it's cool. It's neat to see people do it both in digital ways and in the fashion analog where you put a button, a, and a movie seat that cool that cool that you're doing that so i just want to say thanks yeah you bet i mean uh we're we're super excited to have the opportunity to screen paul's boots and and yeah you're right i mean it, it, as much as i mean like you guys a, a huge amount of of what we do is just sort of goes out into this digital realm you know um but it is important every once in a while to yeah get 
get people's butts in seats and 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 have that shared experience. Um, you know, the the reactions that you get to a film with seven or eight hundred people sitting in the audience are different and interesting and and often yeah. unexpected. Um, yeah. So. I I love that. I mean, for someone who's done a lot of online work, I love that feeling. I love being in that room and seeing where people laugh or where the crowd will go silent. And it's, it's such a cool, it's such a cool experience. Super fun for, for a filmmaker. And I mean, there, like I said, there are always surprises like the, and and audience never responds exactly how you expect they will to something that you've (laughs) produced. (laughs) It's been my experience at least. Um, so it'll be fun. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you a report, uh, after the Paul's boot screening. Cool. And, and if anything, uh, if, if there's any really interesting responses, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Fitz, for, um, for joining us, uh, for this episode of the podcast, um, and for sharing all these amazing experiences that you've had, you know, uh, on, on your own sort of podcasting and filmmaking adventures. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. To learn more about duct tape than beer, you can find links on the show notes page at wildlandsinc.org slash EOC 111 rebroadcast. Today's episode was brought to you by Matt Podolsky and produced by me, Katherine Dunning. Our theme music is by The Humidors. 